what a blessing to have a rich heritage in the Reformed faith. And that is our focus on this day as we look at Reformation and what occurred many years ago and how it affects us today. Uh, for our reading, we're going to be looking in the New Testament to 2 Peter, the very first chapter, reading verses 12 through 21, found on page 1,207. Here Peter writes, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you knew them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. As Pastor Dave mentioned, many people tomorrow will be celebrating Halloween. But churches like ours, with a heritage based on the Protestant Reformation, recognize tomorrow as being Reformation Day. Now, historically speaking, October 31, 1517 was the date that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Although his main goal was to encourage reform within the Catholic Church by returning to the basic truths of Scripture, his decision to post his document on the door of the church effectively sparked what has become known as the Protestant Reformation. One author summarizes what happened with these words. Luther's study of Scripture soon led him to oppose the Church of Rome on issues, including 
the primacy of the Bible over church tradition and the means by which we are found righteous in the sight of God. The Reformation ultimately aimed at proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ from the biblical truth that we are saved by God's grace through faith in his Son. Now, as we look at the passage that we just shared together this morning, the Apostle Peter is emphasizing that the preaching and the teaching of God's Word must shape the foundation of the church in order for God to be glorified and His kingdom honored. God's Word must be faithfully proclaimed from the pulpit and in the classrooms. For it is this powerful testimony that truly transforms the lives of sin-filled people through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. In his first letter, Peter reminds pastors specifically of their responsibility to shepherd the people of God. Listen from 1 Peter 5, the first four verses. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In caring for and nurturing the people of God, he mentions three things. He says, first of all, tend the flock. And that means making sure that they are fed a balanced diet of God's word, of God's truth. Second, he says, serve as overseers. Encourage them to remain faithful to the truth described in the pages of the Bible. Use oversight and accountability and call them back to the basics of the Christian faith. And then third, he says, set an example for them. Be an example of Jesus Christ. Put God's word into action in every part of your life. He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. It has long been held within our tradition as a church that Jesus is the head of the church. It's not our church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. And so pastors, teachers, elders are his representatives. It's important to impart the truth of God's word to God's people. I came across a quote by Dr. J.J. Packer. He says, pastoral work is essentially people-centered. It is caring for individuals. It is not primarily getting people to do things. It is a matter of helping people become something. We are called in the Bible 
to become more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So according to Peter, in the words that I just read from 1 Peter 5, but then now moving on to our text in 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about leadership involving a couple of responsibilities. The first one is instruction. Look with me at verse 12. He writes, Therefore, I intend always to, rem to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. He's saying God's people need to be consistently instructed in the truths of the Bible. This instruction begins early on in the life of a child. And we all know that in order to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to know who he is. And that means instruction is essential. The truths of the Bible must be taught. Now, unfortunately, there are many who view Bible studies, in-depth research into scriptural truth as something that's either archaic or possibly even irrelevant for us today. Sometimes Bible studies, instead of digging into and delving into the truth of God's word, are just a matter of finding facts without really digging in. Another problem today, maybe you have noticed it as well, Sound exegetical preaching is becoming less and less popular. And sometimes it's being replaced with something else like entertainment, storytelling that is emphasized, while the doctrines and the confessions are neglected. But we need to keep in mind that knowing Christ begins with understanding what the Bible says about him. Instruction in the Word of God stands then at the foundation of a strong personal faith. So the first task is instruction. The second is repetition in the truth. It's similar, but it's just a little bit different. In verses 12, 13, and 15, it says, Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am this bod in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And then verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Do you see that reoccurring theme? Christian ministry involves reminding. It isn't that we necessarily forget what the Bible says, what the Christian truths are, but rather we forget how these Christian truths are to be applied in our daily lives. We may, for example, understand God's plan of redemption, that we need to respond to the truths of Scripture, but we don't quite know how to take that word of God and put it into an obedient response. So Peter is saying repetition in God's word is what ingrains his word into our memory 
so that we are able then to draw from God's truth in those moments of decision-making. And the more we are taught these fundamental truths, the more we will be equipped to put them into daily practice. Now, another important aspect of ministry, in addition to instruction and repetition in the truth, is the ability to share our personal witness with others. To state it simply, we must be able to share how the gospel message is real to us, how it makes a difference and an impact in our lives, how it directs us. We, we must be able to share the fruit of the Spirit. Like an almond tree cared for and attended to, produces a good harvest. So we are to show the spiritual fruits of our identity in Jesus Christ. Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's verse 16. So Peter has a personal witness, and, and he's describing the power and the coming of Jesus Christ. He identifies himself as being an eyewitness to the miracles and the works of Jesus. And indeed, Peter was a firsthand observer of Jesus in the many miracles that he performed. And he can honestly say, Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, who has triumphed over sin and death, and he will come again to claim his own. The return of Jesus Christ is a crucial part of understanding and appreciating the living relationship that we have with our Lord and Savior. We know that our Savior is a living Savior, one who will come again to claim those whom the Father has given to him. Most scholars or commentators contend that when Peter makes this reference, he has in mind what he himself witnessed at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Basically, it was a preview of the coming of Jesus in glory. So in a sense, it's as if Peter was able to look and experience a glimpse into the glory of heaven. And that's what he wants to share with his readers. Now you and I, through the truth of Scripture, are also able to declare the power and the coming of Jesus Christ. This declaration is best stated in Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that's why God's word was so important in the Reformation. That's why it needs to be taught and that's why it's the foundation of our personal witness as well. 
Then moving on to the final three verses of our passage, Paul go, or, uh, Peter goes on to describe the nature of God's work. We read in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp that is shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So here Peter is comparing God's word to a light that exposes the darkness. It illumines all of the otherwise hidden objects as we walk. I remember when I was younger, there were times on our farm when I was baling hay or harvesting corn silage during the daylight hours. And so I ended up coming back home and having to do my chores in the dark. Now, fortunately, my, my chores were more toward caring for the hogs. So it wasn't like the cows were sitting there milking themselves. <laughs> so I was able to postpone feeding them on those occasions. But I remember being all alone in the dark and how thankful I was to have just that little flashlight with me, that it provided just enough light for me to see the obstacles in front of me so that I, I didn't trip and hurt myself. Now for Peter, it was the words of the prophets, he says, which he was taught from as a child that gave light to his pathway. He states from his own experience the word of God was available to him and absolutely trustworthy and necessary. And that's because God's word is divinely inspired. We've been looking at that, especially in the evening series from the Belgic Confession, that God's word truly is divinely inspired. Church traditions are not. Verses 20 and 21 read, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spake from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's saying you can't read the Bible like you would read a novel or a mystery or science fiction. It is not something that is made up by a human being's thinking. If you approach the Bible looking for ways that it can support your own opinion or your own viewpoint, you literally are being blinded to the work that the Holy Spirit does in revealing God's truth to you. I have to admit, even though I've written a lot of sermons so far in my lifetime, I'm always humbled by the way in which I begin reading a passage from God's Word. And then as I pray, as I study, the Holy Spirit helps to expand and develop what the scriptural truths are saying. When I submit myself openly 
to the moving of God as I study his revelation, the magnitude of God's word always comes through. And it's amazing to see how that passage, which I first looked at, ends up being a powerful proclamation of the truth of God's word. In his book entitled, The Christian Ministry, Charles Bridges writes, we may trace many of the differences that subsist within the church to a feeble, uninfluential recognition of the supreme authority of Scripture. The clear and heavenly light of scriptural revelation is darkened by the prejudices of man, conflicting with each other instead of bowing implicitly in the obedience of faith. The attentive study of the scriptures has a constraining power. It fills the mind with the most splendid form of heavenly truth, which it teaches with purity, solidity, certainty, and without the least mixture of error. And so when we are daily immersed in the study of God's word, we will experience that constraining power. We will recognize that the Bible truly does have its revelation in God's word. It's not based on human speculation. We can't read our prejudices into it. Have you experienced the compelling power of God's word as you've read and studied it? It really is amazing. It takes an open mind and spirit to allow the word of God to form and to shape our thinking as we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We may not remove biblical interpretation from the realm of divine insight. We must recognize it for what it truly is. It's God's word. It's God's revelation of himself. The last verse in our text makes that abundantly clear. It says in verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God's word is a gift of his grace. And that's what Martin Luther wanted to highlight. It is truly a tremendous treasure that we need to guard and we need to definitely read and study its truth. It is the one true source of divine revelation. Therefore, we must invest our most diligent attention and care into our study of the Bible. The central truth of Peter's message shows literally that the health and the vitality of the church hinges on whether God's word is being faithfully preached and taught and proclaimed. I'd like to share a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. He says, there are two ways of treating a seed. 
The botanist splits it up and discourses on its curious characteristics. Whereas the farmer sows the seed and then he eats the produce. Similarly, there are two ways of treating the gospel. A critic dissects it, raises a mountain of debate about the structure of the whole and the relation of its many parts, and when he is then done with his argument, he is done. To him, the writing is dead. He neither lives on it himself, nor spreads it for the good of his neighbors. That is, he neither sows it or eats it. The disciple of Jesus, hungering for righteousness, takes the whole seed for what it truly is, bread for today's hunger, and seed for tomorrow's supply. As we remember and celebrate Reformation Day, May we take heed of the fundamental truth of the Bible, that Scripture alone is the divine Word of God. And as we do so, we will realize and acknowledge that truly we are saved by God's grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then understanding the magnitude of this wonderful fact, how can we not share this wonderful news with others? Let's join together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are told by the psalmist that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our pathway. And we testify to that fact. Were it not for your word of truth, we would stumble through life. But you are the one who leads us and guides us and directs us by your revelation. And we are so thankful for that fact. And we are thankful for the reformers that took a stand to say that traditions and writings of men are not as authoritative as the word, as the Bible. And Lord, may we continue to not only believe that truth, but to teach it so that your word will continue to transform lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.